Fixate on Code, Episode 7. All right, Larry Buerta here, and you're listening to Fixate on Code, the weekly bite-sized podcast where I talk to the best devs about their favorite strategies for writing great code. And today's featured guest is Harry Roberts. Harry, how are you today? I am good. I'm good, man. Thank you. Harry Roberts is a heavyweight in the world of front-end architecture. While working at Sky, Harry began developing approaches to writing manageable and scalable CSS, revolutionizing the way people think about front-ends. Harry now consults for a long list of companies like Google, the UN, the BBC, and Deloitte. Harry, you have single-handedly made some of the biggest impacts on how people think about CSS. Can you fill in some of the gaps into that intro and tell me a little bit about what you get up to when you're not writing code? Wow, that's that's quite an intro, dude. Um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, filling in gaps, I guess there aren't many gaps left. That was pretty uh, comprehensive. Um, yeah, so I, I currently I work for myself as a consultant, front-end developer, front-end architect, which basically means... Yeah, heading around, traveling around. I get to travel a lot, which is, uh, I'm the luckiest guy alive, I guess. Uh, just meeting with clients, different clients with different situations, different problems, and helping them just manage large-scale sort of front-end architectures. Um, that's the work side of things. Um, I guess when I'm not writing code, did you say? When I'm not, when I'm not working? Yeah. Um, when I'm not working, so I, I'm always working to some degree, right? Which probably sounds really unhealthy, but I just... I just really enjoy what I do. So normally I'll be, I'll have my book in some, uh, sorry, my nose in some kind of technical book, even when I'm not working. But other than that, um, I think being outside is my favorite place. So anything to do with the outdoors, hiking, mountaineering, uh, mountain biking, cycling. Um, yeah, just getting away from it all. I kind of tend to flip flop between the extremes of just spending two weeks inside on a computer and then just desperate to get into the mountains and just not see another person <laughs> for a month. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the uh, that's all of me in a nutshell, I guess. Okay, so Harry, tell me the story about how you got to be where you are right now. What were the steps that got you to where you are today? Um, do you want me the long version or the very long version? <laughs> okay, let's go for the long version. <laughs> um, so uh, about 10, 11 years ago, I wanted to be a graphic designer. I was dead set on that was my thing and uh, my best friend at the time he had the same opinion he wanted to be a graphic designer as well so we joined forces in this small town that he grew up in to be the, like, these up and coming uh, design guys and after a while of that um, ended up just being I learned that I was a terrible designer learned I was just just terrible <laughs> at it I'd, what I'd done is I'd volunteered to build our little website I was like dude we're getting more and more clients we need a portfolio we need a website so I ended up building that and learning. I was way better at code than I ever was going to be at design. So at 10, 10 years ago, I, I got into front-end development, uh, got kind of fully dragged into that. And that's kind of evolved fairly organically since then. I've uh, started working in really small companies, agency of about, well, I guess one developer, uh, which was me, a uh, bunch of project <laughs> managers that an outsourced team. And then from there, moved on to more agencies, and then I guess the, the bit about how I got to where I am right now is back in 2011, which is so long ago now, it's terrifying. Um, it's about five years ago, six years ago, sorry, I started working for a company called Sky, who are a huge broadcast and sort of a multimedia company here in, in UK and bits of Europe. 
I ended up working there as a senior developer about five, six years ago. And that was when the, the sort of large scale performance architecture kind of thing came in. Uh, we were working at huge scale. And at the time, nobody was really writing much about CSS architecture or, uh, or those people who were, there were very few of them. So I got this job building UIs for really sort of highly trafficked websites, websites that were making hundreds of millions of pounds a year. And all of a sudden I was dropped in charge of building the front end for it. And it's just kind of a terrifying but exciting experience. And after a few years of doing that, uh, for Sky, I decided to head elsewhere and do it for other people. Uh, so I've been working for myself for, I think it's like three and a half years now. So that's, that's the long version. So you've worked in big companies, you've worked in small companies, and now you work with big companies. Can you tell me about the worst experience you've ever had on a project? Um, okay, so kind of bearing all, I guess. Um, every single client I've ever actually worked with, nothing's really gone wrong. Um, and and that's, that's, that's like actually the truth, which is surprising because um, yeah, everyone's got at least a couple of horror stories. But my, the way I work with clients is fairly uniform. It's fairly short kind of periods of engagement. So there isn't much scope for things to go wrong at all. Uh, it's usually a quick in and out. We've got a very, limit, uh, sorry, very kind of clear understanding of the limits of the engagement. But I think the, uh, the worst experience I've had in a project was um, about this time last year, maybe April last year, I was meant to be working with a company out in San Francisco and... Uh, it was just simple, just a, just a workshop. And I was going to be in, a, uh, in San Francisco anyway. I was already working out there with a couple of other clients. And I said to this company, look, um, if you can wait off until these dates, we can save a bunch of money on flights because I'll already be, I'll already be in San Francisco. So um, yeah, if you can wait for these specific dates, I can work with you then. And I can tie it into a couple of other clients. And they were like, yep, sounds great. And I asked them, so whereabouts are your office? Because um, I need to book a hotel nearby. They're like, the office is this address. Uh, we'd agreed... Everything we'd agreed, like uh, prices we'd agreed, all this stuff. And then um, I was out in San Francisco working with the first two clients and the last client, the one I was meant to be working with, I, I pinged them on a Friday afternoon saying, hey, can't wait to see you all on Monday. Um, what kind of time do you want to show up at the office? I don't want to be too early or too late. Uh, what kind of time do you want to arrive? And is there any set process for getting through reception or, or anything like that? And the guy just replied with them, oh, right, we, we didn't think you were coming. Strange, <laughs> we talked at length about the exact time and date and price and everything because like, yeah, we didn't think you were coming so you can't work for us now i was like hang on that's I, I don't know what you're talking about because we've got all of this stuff all this like weeks of planning for this and um the end up just going really pear-shaped he was like yeah well we don't want to work with you we feel like you've kind of uh, uh you've, you've not been completely honest with us and and uh, we're just not going to work together now. And I was like, holy, like, dude, this, is, this has never happened before. What's, you know, what's gone on? And um, <laughs> That's insane. It was, no, dude, it was completely insane. It was so strange. I've never experienced anything like it because I was mega excited to work with them. It was like a pretty interesting start. It did some really good stuff. And uh, yeah, just out of the blue, they were like, yo, well, we can't work with you now. So I was like, well, I've got like an extra week's worth of hotels to pay for. I'm, I'm not flying out of San Francisco until the end of the week now because we're meant to working together. Um, and that actually, yeah, that, well, that went really sour because what ended up happening is they were just, yeah, um, we're not going to cover any of your expenses. Um, yeah, we're just going to kind of withdraw completely. And uh, ended up getting to the lawyer stage. So I went to my lawyer and my lawyer was like, yep, you got the contract, everything's like, you know, you've got everything in place, you are legally... There were contracts in place and they had no recollection of the relationship ever developing. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. So the, the odd thing about it is I can't see where it kind of, for that, I can't see where things start to break down because it is all in. My lawyer was like, you're morally in the right, as in like, you know, just this is a shitty thing to do to you. But also legally, it's all here. Like you've got an agreement for a <laughs> date, um, an agreement for like an offering of services and an agreement on the price, all in writing, like it's all there. Um, so I was left in this situation where I was like, well, I just got, I ended up booking like a, moving my flight to like three days earlier, just getting out of San Francisco, getting back to, uh, getting back to England and just chatting with my lawyer and, oh, it's bizarre. Um, it never went any further. I, I kind of, I was about $8,000 down, but it would have been more, like it's a lot of money to me as well. $8,000 is like a big chunk of money, but. That is a big chunk of money. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was just kind of just shocked. But then my lawyer told me that, you know, it's $8,000, which is a lot of money, but it's going to cost you a lot more than that, opening like a transatlantic lawsuit with an American company and you're an English company. And so it ended up decided to kind of suck it up. So it kind of taught me an important lesson that despite all the paperwork in the world, you've got to be able to kind of follow up on it. And uh, yeah, yeah, and that was the only one out of about 100 clients in three years. Um, there is about what well, there's only one that has ever been anything less than perfect, which for me is... Uh, I know, I'm kind of lucky there is only one, but I would like to have that 100% clean streak, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. So you don't even know how the project got into that situation. I mean, it sounds like it's completely anomalous. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. It was, um, I've got my own theory because the way it was so abrupt that I've got my own theories about like what may have happened. Perhaps they just ran out of money and were too embarrassed to say that we can't afford it anymore or I, I couldn't, I, you know, I never got to the bottom of it. Um, but I've still got no idea to this day why it went south so quickly. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's, um, it's, it's just one out of, uh, out of about 100 clients. It's just one person or one company rather than not a person. Um, so on the whole, I am, I'm still very, very fortunate. And to any other clients who may be listening to this, they've all been the best. I, I'm so lucky with the people I work with. All right, Harry. So now on a daily basis, are there any methods, tools or services that you use that you just hate to be without? So, like tools that keep me effective and keep me productive, kind of thing, or keep me on top of scheduling. Oh, any, anything, anything that's helping you get get through the day effectively. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll level with you. Like I'm not really one to use many tools, and that's probably like a, a bad thing. Um, but I just tend to be like, I've got this much work to do. You know, tools or not, I've got to get it done. So just get your head down and do it. Uh, so I tend to just be fairly just you know don't stop until it's finished. Um, but part of that, a huge part of that is prioritizing things. Um, I'm fairly good with prioritization. I know that if I've got a conference next week and I've got a client in a month's time, then obviously focus on the conference first. You know, it's just, just kind of common sense. Um, but one thing I do really try and do is I run my life fairly kind of just in time. So I, I only do a task right before it's needed. Um, which sounds kind of risky in a way, but uh, for example, I'm flying out to Rotterdam on Sunday morning. Now, actually, I'm flying to Amsterdam, flying to Amsterdam first, and I'll travel to Rotterdam. I don't know how to get to Rotterdam. I don't know what hotel I'm in in Rotterdam. I don't need to know that <laughs> on Friday afternoon. I can learn that while I'm at the airport in England. So a lot of my work is just, or a lot of my kind of workflow, I guess, is just putting off things to as late as possible, which sounds like terrible advice. Like, sounds like terrible advice. <laughs> But it's just a way of not front-loading too much information. Mm. Like if I was to look up how to get to Rotterdam on Friday, it means I've got to memorize that until Sunday morning, 
Whereas I might as well just look it up as late as possible so that I can work it out. You know, don't have to memorize things for too long. Okay, so it sounds, it sounds like you've got productivity and workflow down, but where in your daily work do you still meet frustration? Where do you feel there's room for things to be done in a more effective way? Um, this is a really good question. Um, okay, so I think one thing I really struggle with is, okay, actually two things, two things. My life has almost no routine uh, because I could be in any place at any given time, any time zone. Um, it's hard for me to have like a, my alarm goes up at this time every morning. I have this for breakfast. I go to the gym. I do this. I work until this time. I don't have any of that. And routine's obviously hugely important to well, to, to anyone's lifestyle, I guess. And unfortunately, I, ha- I have none of that, um, which is something I, I've known I've needed to address that for a couple of years now, but I'm not sure quite how to do it. But the other thing as well, I'm just terrible at email. I'm just really bad at email. I get too much of it. And <laughs> there are a couple of things I could do to fix this. So one thing could be tied to the routine. I think that I could maybe, if I was to set aside, you know, 30 minutes every day, the exact same time every day, just to reply to email, that would have a tremendous effect. Um, I don't do it, <laughs> which is the problem. But I reckon something like that, a more routine-based approach to email. And also, I still use the old Gmail client. And I've had so many people tell me that, you know, use Inbox. Inbox helps you treat your email more like a to-do list rather than just like a big mess of just stuff that you stare at. That's what Inbox feels like for me. I mean, I look at Inbox and it looks like a mess and Gmail's original client. It's like regimented and it's ordered, right? Gmail's for me, like you, it still feels like the nicer way of doing things. No, definitely. I agree. But, um <laughs> Yes, I, I think that's my major thing, just taking too long to either get around to reading emails or I might read an email five times and think, oh, I've got a perfect reply to that. I'll do it when I've got more time. And then I just don't end up with that <laughs> more time. Um, I think that's one part of my daily life that is just, it's something that I'm not really well in control of or something that I could p- perhaps try differently or better at. Um, yes, yeah, a simple one, but just email, I guess. So Harry, with all these new libraries and frameworks coming out, what are you most excited about at the moment? Um, so actually, uh, I'm not much of a frameworks user. Um, <laughs> not to say that I don't like them. Uh, it's just that the projects I work on, it could be a vanilla. It could be I'm joining a, a React code base. I could be working on a Polymer code base. So I don't really tie my colors to the mast. Um, but... Um, Things I'm excited about would be more standard kind of specification stuff. So Service Worker is mm-hmm. huge. I've started working with Service Worker a lot recently, and it's just it's just revolutionizing everything. And uh, web components, I think when web components land properly, we can start moving things out of sort of uh, frameworks and more in towards standardized specs. Uh, that's going to be huge. And the combination of the two, I just... I really want the web to win, right? So I, uh, I'm just quite excited about the platform in general at the moment. Um, I'm not working with a particular library or framework uh, specifically. I'm quite agnostic in that regard. Um, but yeah, for me, it's all about the, uh, the platform in general. So with all of the new specs that are in development, how do you decide on what to learn and when do you make time to learn about the new specs? Oh, um... That's another really good question. Um, there are a couple of things that I... Okay, uh, the first thing is the, the most privileged position that I think I could possibly be in is that 
I get invited to a lot of conferences. Now imagine, okay, so a lot of developers might get to go to a handful of conferences a year if they're lucky. Uh, last year, I went to 30, wow. which is, <laughs> I mean, that, that for me, that is work. But for me, that's 30 different opportunities to learn things. So I'm constantly surrounded by people who are doing cool new things that have never been seen before or people are demystifying complex uh, sort of concepts. So I just by osmosis, uh, a lot of my work taking me to these conferences means I get to reap a lot of benefit from that. But of course, the, the difficult thing there is that's only available to people who speak at conferences. So it does that just put me in a very privileged position, I guess. But the other side is I just like to keep my ear to the ground. I'm genuinely sort of in love with this industry. I'm fascinated by what we're doing. So for me, any dead time, any time that I would normally be doing nothing, I'll just fire up and hack a news or I will you know, browse Twitter. Um, I'm just constantly immersed in, in what we're doing. And I don't, another thing as well is I don't learn these things inside out. I don't actually roll my sleeves up and build a React application. What I'll do is I'll just read the high level of okay, React is this and it's available to do this, or Polymer does this and it's a polyfill for this. Um, so yeah, just general osmosis, just trying to keep a very broad view of the industry is what I, what I try and strive for. Wow, and the exposure to all of those speakers must be priceless. It's huge, man. But again, I, I, I almost feel guilty saying it out loud because that is such a privileged position for me to be in. But, um, but I'd say, I mean, the same goes for anyone. Like if you've got meetups available... Uh, you know, applying to speak at meetups means that, yeah, you've got to go and do a bit of work. You might have to do like 30, 45 minutes worth of work, but you can just kick back and then learn from other people. I think it's a really great way of getting, like I said, a high level overview. The good thing about it is that you don't have to commit two weeks to learning a new framework. You can just watch a 45 minute talk and think, I understand enough about that to know that I don't need it yet. And that when I do need it, I know where to start Googling. Um, so for me, a high level introduction to a lot of things is the correct way for me to start because then I can do drill down work as and when it becomes appropriate. And they've done all the hard work for us when it comes to understanding which frameworks are out there and what they can do without us having to bash our heads against the wall to understand what's actually going on. <laughs> yeah. Now, Harry, you've written about a number of approaches to writing CSS that have been inspired by programming techniques. Which specific aspects about programming has dramatically changed the way that you think about and write code? Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, like you said, there's, there's a lot of them. I think that um, front-end developers, um, we, we, we keep coming up against things that have technically sort of been solved before. Uh, like programming is much, much older than front-end development. So I've, as you say, spent a lot of time just borrowing and well, stealing from there, I guess. So I think a lot of those paradigms are really useful. But I think right now, uh, in hindsight, I would say the most useful one that I've sort of picked up on is um, it's the idea of just making things uh, fairly well isolated or well encapsulated. Um, time and again, when I'm doing audits and consultancy work with clients who found that their CSS is in a mess or they're finding it hard to like uh, refactor or adjust things, a lot of the reason is because they've just made it too complex and they've got lots of surface area on their code and there's like lots of bif different bits of code that touch other bits of code. And um, so I guess... In like a in a sentence, I guess the first time you ever do anything, you will probably be getting it wrong, right? The first time you try and build X Y Z client a site, sorry for a new client, you're probably going to get subtle things wrong. Not because of your fault; it's just because things change or we learn more about the situation. So I think um, 
understanding that you're probably going to get it wrong the first time that it will need tweaking um make sure that everything's undoable make sure everything is encapsulated enough that you can decommission discrete sections of your code base rather than having to rewrite the whole thing um, so yeah make things as encapsulated and isolated as possible so that when you learn that this feature wasn't implemented quite correctly you only need to refactor that feature you don't have to go back and pick through loads of legacy to try and unearth things uh, I'd say just simply encapsulation or isolation are, are really important. Mm, it's not always obvious with CSS how to keep things manageable, but encapsulation has had such a profound effect on ensuring that components are properly decoupled. And with that, we've come to the end of our first segment. Harry, I'm about to throw some quick fire questions your way. Let's do this. What is the best advice about programming you've ever received? Um, oh, can I half cheat on this one? <laughs> Go uh, for it. This was from a programmer, and it was about the business of programming, but it wasn't about code itself. Um, very, very, very clever guy, Oliver Reichenstein, once told me, uh, never do it for the money, but never do it for no money. <laughs> and uh, the whole point of this was, um, you know, we love what we do to the point where people will kind of do work for free. They will be happy to just, oh, I'll do this for free. It's fine. I enjoy it. I'll do it for free, which leads to people, you know, open source, right? People getting open source burnout because they're just like, oh, it's not about the money for me. I just enjoy it that much. Uh, and I think this advice just basically says, look, don't make money your motivator. As soon as you make money your motivation, you're into a, like a loss. You can't really win with that point of view, that frame of mind. But at the same time, do not be a mug. Don't, don't, sort of sell your soul just to do free work for people or you know don't give too much of yourself so that that i was told that about eight years ago probably longer uh, and it's simple as that don't do it for the money but never do it for no money <laughs> i love that which personal habits do you attribute to writing better code uh laziness <laughs> <laughs> now i am um, uh, this is one that's come around recently, but um, I'm working with a guy at the moment who's quite a junior developer. I'm, I'm sort of uh, mentoring him. And his traits right now are the traits that I had eight years ago. His traits right now is the trait that every junior developer ever had, which is this. This has to be the best code I've ever written. And this has to be the best thing I've ever done. And it's almost like paralyzing. He doesn't know where to start. He spends so much time thinking about things that... Um, you know, he, he never gets around to writing his first line of code because he's too busy trying to do it perfectly in his head first. Whereas I've got to a point now where it's like, uh, do you know what? I can't really be bothered spending two days planning this. I'll just write something down. If it doesn't work, I can refactor it, but at least I can get something written down today. So I guess a cross between pragmatism and laziness. Um, just, just get something written down. Don't spend too long planning because you will just you'll just think yourself into a corner. So yeah, pragmatism and laziness. Harry, if you could recommend one book on programming, what would it be and why? Mm, okay, got one. Um, Ilya Grigorik, who works for Google, is probably one of the cleverest guys I've ever come across. Uh, his book, High Performance Browser Networking, is absolutely the best book I've read in, in many, many years. Um, it's very, very important. It's um, it's make it's made me a fundamentally fundamentally better developer. Uh, I understand f in like fine detail how the internet itself works. And um, equipped with that kind of knowledge, you could turn your hand to anything. Harry, who in the front end world is doing work that really inspires you? Uh, right now, I would say anybody on the uh, 
Google developer relations team. So I'm thinking people like uh, Alex Russell, uh, Jake Archibald. In fact, specifically Jake Archibald, you know, he's doing a lot of work with Service Worker, which is his specific thing. But if you just go and flick through his blog, he writes about such a diverse array of subjects in such amazing detail. Uh, I, I want to be Jake Archibald when I grow up, basically. Um, so I'm, I'm <laughs> leaning a lot on Jake's work at the moment with everything he's doing. Uh, Paul Lewis, also from Google, his render performance work has been invaluable to me. Uh, Nicholas Gallagher uh, at Twitter, um, he's doing some fairly fundamental foundational work. Um, but there are so many people doing amazing things. Do you not find that it's just, for, for years we looked to the same people over and over again, but you you learned that there's, there's some person in a company you've never heard of who's doing incredible things with progressive web apps all of a sudden. Um I mean, it just the web really does belong to everyone. So I look for inspiration wherever it crops up. Yeah, we're incredibly spoiled with the volume of work that everyone's contributing. I mean, people who aren't involved in building for the web are always shocked by how much work is essentially done for free. Dude, you're so right. Explaining open source to non-developers is impossible. Like, no, but you've got to pay for this, right? It's like, no, they can have it. But how do you make money? I guess you don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a difficult task. Harry, imagine you wake up and you have no recollection of ever writing code. With the tools, books, and courses available today, how would you go about learning to code from scratch? Oh, okay, that's assuming that I would want to, right? I mean, um, <laughs> my dream job, my dream job, I'd like to be a park ranger, a big national park somewhere, and just wake up and check that the eagles are okay and maybe release a deer that's trapped in a fence. And uh, But if I, I reckon if I was to start coding again, I would... Um, in my knowledge of things I have now, I would probably still go down a similar approach to what I did the first time around, which is uh, reverse engineering things, being inquisitive and picking things apart. But this time around, I would start with fundamentals about the internet. So reading Ilya's book has taught me that you can learn all the HTML, CSS, JS in the world, but if you don't understand how it's getting transported to users, then you're fundamentally making assumptions or incorrect decisions. So I'd probably do the same kind of thing again. I would just break things. I would pick other people's websites apart. I would, you remember, oh, do you remember uh, like CSS Beauty and uh, all these different CSS gallery sites? <laughs> I used to, yeah, Zen Garden. Yeah, yeah. I used to spend hours a day on those things. I would probably do something similar again. I would learn by example, by picking things apart. But knowing what I know now, I would probably learn more about the fundamentals than I would about the ones and zeros and the actual, like, the code itself. I would focus way more on the web as an ecosystem. And, and just to give some more big ups, actually, previous question, um, Jeremy Keith. Jeremy Keith's absolutely another person I uh, get a lot of inspiration from because he talks about the fundamentals. So, Harry, let's wrap up with your top tip on how to work smart, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Okay, uh, working smart. Um, okay, so I would say working smart for me uh, means focusing less upon the actual techniques and technologies because they're all learnable. That information is already available. Don't memorize stuff that you don't need to memorize. Working smart would be having a decent plan of attack, uh, a pragmatic approach to things, being good at prioritizing things, being good at asking for help, being good about surrounding yourself with people who know more than you do. Uh, like crowdsource the knowledge, but as long as you've got a fundamentally good approach to building for the web, I think you'll be set up for many years. And the best way to connect with you? Um, 
Yeah, if it's like a little questions about sort of just tips and tricks and techniques, uh, absolutely, I would say on Twitter. I'm quite active on Twitter. Um, but uh, if we've got show notes, do you do show notes for the yep. uh, for the podcast? Cool. Uh, we can stick my website and email address in there. If people have longer questions, I'm always happy to answer them via email. I make myself quite available to people. When you do respond to email. Yeah, oh, yeah I shouldn't have said that straight. Uh, I always respond to email. Please email me. <laughs> <laughs> to everyone out there, you've been hanging with Harry Roberts and Larry Buerta. Head over to fixate.it where you'll find links and timestamps for everything we've been talking about today. And of course, head over to cssWizardry.com and absorb everything you can about writing manageable and scalable CSS. Harry, thank you for sharing your journey with Fixate on Code. Keep pushing the limits and keep pushing great code. 